Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to The King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. I'm Will Griffith, and with me today and every day on this podcast are my two companions and the real brains of this operation. First up, currently riding at the King's Herald, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how was your New Year's? My New Year's was uh, was good. I'm happy to see the one at the end of, of 2020 now. So hopefully, you know, there's only one way to go from here, and that's hopefully up. And I'm excited to, to get back on the podcast with you guys. I'm, I'm with you on that one, Tony. Now saving the best for last and the real reason you've tuned in today, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach and color analyst, a general manager of a WNBA champion, an Indiana Hall of Famer, and the true pride of French like himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, how was your holidays? Pretty good. You know, I'm always just happy to have them over with and uh, really like Tony, uh, I'm sure yourself, just glad to see 2021 get here for a lot of reasons, not just because it'd be a better year because it means I'm not dead or anything. That's uh, <laughs> the ultimate goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the uh, the Kings a second here. They uh, they started off their season running off um, three three wins and, and, and two losses and all against teams that were were pretty good, uh, pretty darn good teams. Um, right off the bat, Jerry, was there anything that was a pleasant surprise to you with the Kings starting off this season? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I mean, there's a couple things. They're having a winning record, so so that that says speaks for itself. But they were fun to watch. They were fun to watch. The defense was significantly, I thought, better than last year at the start of the season. So that was nice and seeing some pressure and half-court traps and things. That's neat. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton was better than you could have expected or should have expected. He was terrific. And, uh, you know, overall, the team helped. I mean, basically, uh, knock on wood, but probably uh, the Kings have basically been healthier than any team probably in the league thus far. Absolutely. Tony, what do you think? I was certainly not expecting a three and two start considering the opponents they were facing. I mean, I think that was especially beating Denver twice. That's a, maybe a top four seed in the West and they, they beat them two times one time without Jamal Murray, but Hey, every team's going to have injuries this year. So um, that's not, you know, that is what it is. What I thought was interesting though uh, was that the Kings are winning games in ways that I wouldn't have expected. If you asked me like, Hey, how do the Kings win games in this, this season? I would say they're going to play really fast. They're going to shoot a lot of threes like they did in the preseason and they're going to outscore some teams. And like Jerry was saying, that's really not what they've been doing. They've been playing good defense. They're, uh, you know, tops in the league in rebounding. They take more twos than almost anyone. They're actually at the bottom of the league in threes, but they've been sort of grinding out these wins in more of a old school, like Memphis Grizzlies grit and grind kind of style, instead of that run and gun up and down young team that we were sort of expecting. So I think um, that part is sort of odd, and and I don't I'm, I don't hate it. I mean, if you, you can get wins any way you can get them, it's just not not necessarily the team that I was expecting coming into the year, at least so far. Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing for me was was they hyped up um, prior to the season starting. Oh, they're going to run and gun. They're going to. I mean, they took fifty threes basically in each of their their first two preseason games, and it was kind of a precursor to here we go. You got a little bit of the Houston Rockets now on the Sacramento Kings, and now they're. They're in the bottom. Uh, they're in the bottom five in the league in three-point attempts per game. They're in the bottom ten in, in terms of pace. So all this stuff that we'd been kind of hyped up to and getting ready for, it kind of threw everybody else for a loop because here we thought, okay, these guys are going to be out running and gunning this year, and they've kind of slow walked it up the court some of the times. De'Aaron Fox fast breaks notwithstanding. Um, is there anything there that um, off the bat that disappointed you, Jerry? Was there was there something that you thought, oh, here we go, here's Here's kind of some old habits that have that have uh, come back to bite us, or things that you hoped had changed, but uh, so far haven't. Uh, well, uh, not really. Uh, you know, I'll say this for him. I think the one thing they are doing that better than they did last year, even though it's not showing up as far as uh, scoring pace, so to speak, is they're pushing the ball up fast. They're getting into True. into their half court much quicker now. 
Sure. And so to me, that's not bad. So now you're starting your offense. If you're going to run one at 18 seconds instead of uh, with 16 seconds or 15 seconds, like last year. So, so, and, and that's one of the reasons I think they're more efficient. It uh, gives you a little better chance to break teams down. Now on the three point thing, uh, you know, it does seem to me like if you're starting Rashawn Holmes and Bagley and, you know, uh, basically in your starting lineup, you got two guys that really aren't three point threats. Or actually, and then you'd almost have to throw Fox into that category, uh, to truthfully. So, so why would you expect a huge three point numbers at this point? If Belicia was the 35 minute guy there at the four, or, or you might look at that different, or at the five, or playing him at the five and Barnes at the four, to, you know. So, anyway, I, I think it's a product of a little bit of the starting lineup and what they're trying to do. But I, I do like the fact that the other, I think they're pushing it to get into the offense quicker and uh, quite honestly running a little bit more structured and better half court offense when they do. That's a great, that's a great point, Jerry. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right in terms of, I, I wondered if maybe it was a last minute adjustment the first, the first couple of games where I thought, okay, they're not taking nearly as much and maybe it was, due to uh, uh, matchups and whatnot, but you're absolutely right that Rashawn Holmes, uh, though he took a couple in preseason, is is a is a zero factor from beyond the three-point line. And Marvin Backley, though we'd hope he he eventually gets there, isn't quite, you know, stroking it from distance quite yet. So that that's you're 100% on that. Tony, was there anything that you saw that you kind of uh, uh, kind of took a deep breath on or, or, or felt like the Kings, you would expect something a little different from them? I don't know if I, I expected this to be different, but I have been watching that Holmes Bagley front court all throughout preseason and into the early parts of this season, just to see if it would work because there is that spacing question, especially with Fox who likes to attack uh, the, the rim as often as he does. Is he going to have the room to do that with Marvin Bagley uh, and Rashawn Holmes both in the paint at the same time. And to that point, what I thought was really interesting was the last two games, Luke Walton didn't play Marvin Bagley in those crunch time fourth quarter minutes, it was Rashawn Holmes at center and Harrison Barnes at the four and some combination of Corey Joseph and Halliburton and, and Barnes and Buddy and Fox, you know, taking up the rest of the spot on, on that, uh, on that closing lineup. So I think that is that balance of, of what Luke Walton is going to do with the front court, both to start games, but then even, you know, more important than starting the games who finishes the game. And at what point is Marvin Bagley's development, like, needing to see what he can do in these close games. When is that going to take precedent over spacing and, and winning? And so far Luke Walton has played it where he's going to put the lineup out there that he thinks uh, gives them the best chance to win the game. That happens to be interestingly enough, not the same lineup that he is starting games with. Cause like I said, they're going, they're gearing towards spacing. They're putting Barnes in there at the four instead of, instead of Bagley. And, and, and so that's something that, you know, what is different than I expected or, or not, I, I guess I, I don't know what I expected, but I sort of assumed we'd be seeing Marvin Bagley in these closing lineups just because we don't think the Kings are going to be a playoff team. We don't know for sure, but that wasn't the expectation. So you would think that maybe Luke Walton would gear his rotation towards seeing what the young guys can do. And he's done that with Halliburton. Halliburton has played a lot of crunch time fourth quarter minutes and Bagley just hasn't yet. And it's early, but that's sort of a, a surprise to me is that he's been going for the wins over um, development, at least regarding where Bagley fits in that front court rotation so far. It's only five games, but but that's been the case so far. Jerry, maybe you can speak to this a little bit in comparing a Tyrese Halliburton, who's a rookie, who's come in right away and established himself, especially on the defensive end, but also as a complementary piece on offense, uh, playing those 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 clutch minutes versus a Marvin Bagley, who's now he's been injured, but he's been around for a couple of years now. He knows the league, and he seems to be brought along a little bit slower as a former coach. Is there, is there any difference that you see in why uh, Bagley would be brought on a little bit slower than, than Halliburton, or is it just more of a, a matchup thing? Or is there something that, that Tony and I aren't quite, uh, aren't quite seeing there? Well, uh, honestly, I think Luke is like any coach is trying to win ball games and, uh, and Halliburton is playing better. Just simply sure. playing better. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I mean, it's, it's uh product of that uh, and I think that's what a coach is supposed to do try to sure. put a lineups out there that he thinks he's got the best chance to win with and you look at the efficiency ratings and scoring ratings and all that sort of thing I mean Halliburton is right at the top of, 
of where the of the team, uh, and then Marvin is right at the bottom. So you sure. you you know to say otherwise, you'd almost be unfair uh, to Halliburton yeah. or Alicia, sure. who's got a tremendous uh, positive rating overall in about every category. So to my mind, it's not that you uh, give up in any way on Marvin, but you're waiting for him to play better. They still sure. start. He'll still start. And you're expecting like he did against Phoenix have a, was terrific there for stretches. So, so uh, if, if I were Luke, I'd do it exactly the same way. I mean, this is uh this is big boy basketball and uh, <laughs> you know, basically lace them up and the guys who earn the minutes, get the minutes. You're not, you know, it's, it's not rookies. I mean, Halliburton's a rookie, but he's earned his minutes. Take us back to a second here. Um, Jerry, I wanted to ask you about this before, before it slipped away. Uh, the Kings started off their season 2-0, and and that was the first time they'd started 2-0 and since LeBron James' rookie year, where the very first win of that 2-0 and was beating LeBron James at his very first night in the NBA. Could you, could you tell us a little bit yeah. about that? I wanted to pull some story out of you about uh, opening night with LeBron James there as a rookie and all the hype around him and whatnot and, and getting it from, from the Jerry Reynolds perspective. <laughs> well, I tell you, I, I do have some real interesting, uh, I think, thoughts on that is that uh, really that first game, of course, was in Sacramento. And uh, Grant and I had done a, his first night. They had the first Nike commercial for LeBron. It was done in Sacramento with you know, the fake crowd, which it looked like mm -hmm. it was full. And Grant and I had speaking parts mm -hmm. uh, in that commercial. So we got paid a thousand dollars every time it ran. So I think I made about nine or $10,000. So, so, to, so I've always been a LeBron fan, by the way, <laughs> you know, for, 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 I'm a sellout, you know, so, uh, so, so on that base, besides being a great, great player and, and, and I'd gotten to visit with him just briefly, uh, at that time, you know, he's 18 year old kid and just very nice, you know, obviously he's a man now and has, you know, has different views of things and all that, uh, you know, whatever, but just a great, great. And I knew he was going to be great, by the way, I'd watched him in McDonald's workouts and things, practices besides McDonald's game. And uh, I honestly, I don't think I'd ever seen a high school player be more dominant, uh, you know, at that size you know certainly kareem or wilt you would uh, put there and and the great oscar robertson was just a man among boys like lebron at that age so you know there's just things that you say this guy can't miss and then of course when we played the game uh he was everything he was supposed to be you know and doug christie one of the best defenders in the league i think lebron put 25 on him and they weren't all on him but but i mean doug Doug, you know, if you can score on Doug Christie as an 18, 18 year old, you're going to do well. Uh, and I always say, say people, you know, coming out of high school, I mean, he's the only high school player that, uh, that I've ever, that's come in the league that was, was terrific from day one. You know, people forget that Garnett and Kobe and McGrady, those guys was about the third year before you knew they were going to be special, but LeBron was special day one. One of my favorite uh, stories about LeBron and his rookie year was uh, his teammate Ricky Davis saying that he felt that like when LeBron was drafted, he thought they were just bringing in help for Ricky Davis. He thought, oh, LeBron will be the guy that's coming in to help me out, help me score a little bit more. Yeah, Ricky would think that. Uh, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me. Yeah, Ricky would think that. That's why his career was cut short. <laughs> So getting back to the Kings for a second here, uh, Jerry, I also wanted to get your opinion on opening nights. Um, when, when, when there's so much buildup, even in a regular season, even for, even for a team like the Kings who haven't, you know, won anything in 14 years. Um, well, how do you, how do you uh, approach an opening, an opening night game? Is it any different than any other game? Do you try to downplay what's happening in that, Hey, this is just the start of the season. Or is this something where you find your team has a little extra, in terms of nerves and that you have to calm them down or you have to, you know, you have to do the Gene Hackman walk out to, to the court and, you know, oh, it's a 10 foot basket, just like everywhere else. And you got to Hoosiers them a little bit. Where do you, where do you think most, most players, especially now, oh, is there anything special that you have to do for them on an opening night to calm their nerves? Well, I, I don't think you can, uh, honestly. I mean, I think that's true of both teams. I mean, I think you, you try to, uh, you know, approach it as, as a game, 
just a game, you know, uh, but, but they know it's not, it's opening night and where, where everybody's uh, beliefs that they're going to have a great season team and individual still rings in their ears, you know, so then you want that enthusiasm, but it's over in the other locker room too. And so, you know, you, you just, you just have to get through the first five minutes and, and then reality uh, settles in. I, I think the only thing to me is really unusual is those openings is that even though you're playing a team, that you know, and, and from last year, but they're different, you know, every, and so you don't really have a good, the kind of preparation you'd like to have, you know, that you're going to have later in the season from a scouting perspective of what they're doing differently. You just can't know that. So, and, and it's the same on the, like say in the other locker room, but it, but yeah, to act like it's uh, some, just another game. It, well, it's not just another game. It's opening night. So uh, deal with it that way. Hey, in five minutes, They'll be fine. You know, they'll get a good sweat and you have a timeout and you can yell at somebody or, or and, and, it, and they'll be ready to play basketball. Yeah, it's Jerry, it's interesting that you, you mentioned this point because I was going to bring it up about their very first game uh, playing Denver and that the Kings kind of sideswiped them, that they Denver looked like they weren't expecting the Sacramento Kings to play like they played. And I wondered if that was a, a little bit of you don't have the you know, you don't really have the, the the grasp of them yet because the Kings aren't the Kings of last season. And Denver, obviously losing some some quality defenders themselves, didn't have the players necessary to throw out on the Kings when they started realizing they were bleeding a little bit. Um, is that is that something that that could could fully lose you a game, especially on opening night, like a Denver where they come in prepared? Mike Mike Malone, I trust, would be as prepared as anyone as a head coach. But that Denver seemed to, especially Jamal Murray, who made one shot and it was in the fourth quarter and only ended up with nine points. How, how much does that play into it in terms of the scouting that you just didn't think that the Kings would, would play the way they played or Denver, Denver understanding the Kings being one team and the Kings coming out and, and, and jabbing them with the other hand and, and screwing that, 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 uh, you know, that, that game plan up a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's exactly what happened to, 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 to a degree. It happens every year, mm-hmm. you know, to where, good teams come out, uh, you know, kind of strutting their stuff based on what they did last year and, and get, get slapped in the face, you know, ask Milwaukee Bucks and Miami Heat, uh, you know, they, you know, I mean, and Denver Nuggets. I mean, you, you have to, you know, a coach can say, you know, you guys, have, it's a new year. you got to prove it all over again, but there's, but you know, their human nature being what it is, you know, they're thinking, Hey, we're the Denver Nuggets. They're the Sacramento Kings. Well, yeah, but they're not quite the same Denver Nuggets and they're not quite the same Sacramento Kings. And that that'll play itself out over, over a while, you know? And uh, I think we saw that with that year with Dave Yeager uh, last year that, uh, you know, the Kings really got four or five wins before I thought before people figured out that, Whoa, these guys are playing different, you know? And I think that, (laughs) There's a little bit of that going on here that, oh, oh, the Kings are actually trying to guard somebody this year. Sure. And, and, and so that, you know, so, yeah, that's part of it. Uh, you know, people being what they're what they are, you know, we're all we all get all full of ourselves for no reason sometimes. And that certainly happens with teams. How long before the mystery runs out? On an average season, how, how, how long does it take for your scouts or for you as the coach to hear as it trickles in from other teams in the league and other coaches in the league, like, Hey, the Kings are playing different this year. They are not, they are defending this year. They are not committing to necessarily fast breaking every single time, but they're, they've got a good setup offense. How long before the mystery wears off on the Kings and other teams figure out, okay, now we know how to beat these guys. You know, it should be about three to five games, but I think it's more like 10 games uh, because uh, you know, coaches may start figuring stuff out pretty quick. And, and they'll pay attention, but players almost in today's game, they almost need to see, you know, the team play, you know what I mean? At, yeah. Where they're watching league pass and all the games. And, and so somebody telling you that, Hey, this, this rookie Halliburton's pretty good here. You know, the coach, you, you know, he's really a player. Well, the, you know, the veterans in the league, yeah, yeah, whatever until they, until they see. And so I, I think that's, to me, that's the way I'd look at it. I think it's a little longer process than it should be for that for that reason. Tony, uh, Jerry mentioned uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Give me your assessment after uh, after five games. What you think of Halliburton coming into the league? We were talking about this the other day amongst our Kings Herald um, staff, and it you know just sort of he's been so good 
in pretty much all of his minutes, he went the first three games. Uh, I think his assist to turnover ratio was like 15 assists to one turnover. And that turnover was him sliding on the court when Chris Paul was sort of defending him tight. So it wasn't even like a decision-making turnover. He's been as flawless, I think, as you could possibly expect for a rookie. That doesn't mean he's been literally flawless, but I mean, looking at the other rookies around the league, none of them are, are flawless in this class. And he, so he's been as good, if not the best rookie uh, out of anybody, which is why him taking that fall, that Corey Brewer-esque fall um, in the last game against Houston is such a bummer because he, he uh, the diagnosis, I believe, was like a bone bruise in his wrist. And we don't know the severity yet, but he's going to miss at least, you know, the game against the second game against Houston. So that's obviously, you, you know, we hope that, comes out great because he's been integral in their success and he's been as good as anybody could reasonably expect so far. Jerry, is there anything that, uh, that you watch when you see Tyrese Halliburton and you think, Oh, uh, this is still a rookie. He, he still got some growing to do here, obviously shooting and, and finding himself a little bit more in the offense and allowing himself to score a little bit more might be one, but is there anything that stood out to you as something that was kind of a fatal flaw for, for a guy who's played so well in Tyrese Halliburton? You know, that, that might be the, uh, the biggest surprise to me. I was looking for fatal flaws. I found none. Zero. Uh, you know, the guy mm-hmm. is playing unbelievably well. You know, when you can, as a rookie, can have a 5.5 assist to turnover ratio, uh, that's John Stockton caliber plus. Uh, now, sure. you know, we know it's early. We, I don't <laughs> want to get silly here, but, but uh, I am silly. But, but I mean, his stats right across the board, you know, the fishy, efficiency rating is tremendous. His scoring efficiency is a winning uh, number. Uh, his, his, you know, 53% shooting from the floor, 50 from three, uh, about 90 or 88 from, from the free throw line. Well, you know, you can't, you can't ask for more. Plus, he's a good defender. A terrific, a terrific team defender mm-hmm. and a better than average individual uh, on ball defender, in my opinion. So uh, he's uh, he's just way better than I thought he would be or could be. Uh, would you like to see? Yeah, he's going to have to learn how to shoot a jump shot. Uh, you know, on the uh, you know in the drawn kick game, you know the floaters and stuff are nice, but that's not, it's not going to feed the bulldog later on as teams uh, scout you. And because uh, they're going to get in and, and really challenge that spot shot, uh, so which he really is good at. So, so there's things there, and, and his body type, uh, uh, he he will need to get stronger. Yeah. I mean that, but I mean those are just things that that's called kind of growing up and practicing, yeah. you know. So, but uh, terrific, terrific start. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing with him is he just seems so um, even keeled on the court. There's been times where you watch Kings rookies and you can tell they're nervous or you can tell they're trying to do one thing too many and they're, the game is so fast to them that they can't quite catch up to it. And Halliburton has never has, has yet to show me a time where the game really looked too fast for him to play in. He always is a very measured player. He, uh, he's, he's rarely somebody that I think, oh, you missed that pass. That's the guy you should have skipped it to. The other thing there that, that strikes me, and I haven't seen, it's very rare. I mean, he is a, a naturally unselfish player. I mean, he just simply is, is going to be a ball mover, if that's what's called for, the assist, assisted basket. I mean, he's got a great, great instincts for that. And, uh, and you know, that's not everybody has that. Uh, in today's game, uh, I mean, probably fewer than, <laughs> you know, every decade, I think it gets to be a more rare uh, commodity. I think Luke Walton, um, and this is the first time the Kings have been able to put out a lineup like this in, I don't even know how long, but we saw him go to it in that Houston game when things are sort of falling apart and it pulled them back into the game where Luke Walton now has a lineup that he can put in there where he knows all five guys are going to defend. And that's that Fox, Joseph Halliburton, Barnes, Holmes lineup where while that might be a little bit limited offensively, anytime Walton has gone to that unit, um, the amount of steals and disruption and deflections that you're seeing from the perimeter guys, when you've got Joseph uh, Fox and Halliburton out there at the same time is seriously. I mean, I don't want to exaggerate it's because it's so early, but unlike any defensive lineup that a Kings coach has even had in his tool belt in a very long time, because all five of those guys are going to give effort, which is probably the most important thing defensively. But a lot of those guys also have some pretty, uh, 
substantial defensive skills, particularly Halliburton with his, you know, reading the passing lanes. So just having, having a lineup like that, that you can go to, to get stops is, is important. And also something we just haven't seen in a while. Yeah. You know, and I, I really like your thought on Corey Joseph. I know a lot of the readers of the, of the, of the Herald, uh, you know, I, yeah. team of me don't want to give the guy credit. The guy's a ball player. Now, you can make the case uh, he shouldn't have made what he's making or this or that, but, but he'll, he'll go guard you every time, you know, he's going to go out there and compete and play. And there's a reason he's been a valuable role player on a bunch of playoff teams, just exactly what you talked about. I mean, guys like playing with him, he's going to make it tough. Uh, you know, he, he and Halliburton together are very different or Halliburton's got the more athleticism and, and instincts and the length and steel. But I mean, Corey's just an old, old fashioned, I'll get, put my nose on your chest and uh, see what you can do with that. And I, I think that, uh, you know, the old Jerry Sloan thing uh, said, sometimes you need that guy. I'll just try to knock your dick in the dirt. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that's a, and that's a, Corey's got a little bit of that. Jerry, we're going to quote that everywhere now. I hope you understand. Sounds that. like a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Jerry would do it. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I'd say about Corey Joseph in the, in the other end is that, and I think Walton's actually starting to do this. So it's becoming less of a thing that's kind of bothering me, I guess, is that, um, I Halliburton's been so good running offense and passing the ball and distributing that I'd love to see Walton. Um, and he's been doing it sort of shift the, the ball handling and distribution duties more towards Walton when that second unit comes in and, and less, less of Corey Joseph with the ball in his hands and, and keep him out there. He's, he can, he can de- be, you know, like you said, defend, he can even shoot it a little bit off the ball, but let Halliburton run that second unit um, with Joseph sort of doing what Joseph does best. But I just think the offense on the bench looks more creative when it's Halliburton doing uh, a majority of that ball handling and distributing. Well, Tony, let me add to that. And I know this will make, uh, you know, Kings fans think I have total dementia, <laughs> but uh, I, I like that. I think that's exactly what should happen uh, on that, on the second unit. And I'll tell you, I think it should happen on the first unit. So I think that, uh, you know, definitely Halliburton with his assist turnover ratio is really looking to move the ball more. And certainly Fox is a better offensive player uh, at times, uh, get him off the ball and let him, you know, take Buddy's role and go look to score. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I think he can uh, probably his playmaking would even become easier for him in that. So I, I would, I, I really think that, that in time, you know, it's a little bit of the Doug Christie, Mike Bibby, yeah. kind of thing where people realize, I mean, that Mike was never the point guard. He was a shooting guard who was in charge of guarding point guards, supposedly, uh, <laughs> in, in theory. But, but I mean, but it worked. It, it worked, you know, because you got your score, the better score, maybe, uh, off the ball with scoring opportunities. Yeah, I think the league's going that way a bit, too, where instead of having a one and a two, you're really having two 1.5s that there's – it's not a – point guard and a shooting guard necessarily it's a scoring guard and a passing guard and or a passing defending guard and whatever combination you can toss out there that seems to be something that's getting rather popular and in vogue in the nba and i think for the kings i'm i'm happy that you have halliburton as the guy that's i mean i can't necessarily depend on De'Aaron fox yet to distribute eight or nine assists a night but i can see halliburton in his prime being able to reach six seven eight nine assists a night and so I can depend on Fox to score 20 points a night, but I can't necessarily depend on Halliburton to do that, you know? Yeah, I, that's what I think. I mean, I, I just think you want to make, you know, Fox is a terrific talent. And, and certainly if uh, Buddy says he's not on the floor, you'd like for him to be even more aggressive offensively, and that might be the, the opportunity. So, uh, you know, you see, you see it, uh, you know, Mike Connolly and Donovan Mitchell and, and you know, at times, certainly you can't say which one's which they're both capable of running it. They're both capable of scoring a lot. Sure. Let's uh, let's talk about the other young guy that, uh, that obviously we touched on a little bit here, but uh, give us an evaluation, uh, Jerry, of uh, Marvin Bagley off the bat this season and, and what you think uh, the positives are versus what he still needs to, uh, he still needs to focus on here in these next five or 10 games. Well, his rebounds per minute is, is terrific. It's very good for a power forward or even a center. I mean, he, he's doing a good job there. Uh, certainly, you, you just know that he's going to rebound per minute at a, an efficient rate. Now, 
what he's got to do. And certainly you can see his uh, ability to post up and score in the paint when he can get it, get in there and get on, you know, get that left hand uh, positioned. Uh, he's extremely efficient, tough to cover. Uh, where he's not efficient right now is uh, the, the perimeter jump shot. Uh, his assist turnover ratio is just not good enough. And so, you know, those things have got to get better. Uh, you know, to me, it's five games in. He didn't really play hardly at all last year. Uh, I think you, and, and just in fairness, uh, you know, I wouldn't make any real judgment on the guy. And I think Luke is doing the right thing. Keep starting him. Keep starting him and uh, see how it goes for him. If the game is breaking right for him, then he gets a lot of minutes. If, if it's not, uh, you're not obligated. Uh, just, but make sure he knows that he's going to start and he's going to play every half and, uh, and then, but it's going to be determined on how well he plays and, and, you know, 15, 20 game mark, you could, you could make some, maybe some logical as, assessment at that time. Is there a, is there a reason I'm, I'm thinking back to, um, to, uh, to the game where he, he ended up scoring 16 points in the, uh, in the second quarter against the, uh, I think it was it the Suns. Yeah. Suns, was, yeah. So, so in that game so. where he where he obviously yeah. had a fantastic second quarter in, and then when it comes down to it, he doesn't end up playing in crunch time and whatnot. Luke Walton's reasoning was that he was kind of dancing with the girl that he brought to the to you know the team that got him the run that that was putting them up in the game and that was doing so well defensively. Is is there anything that you would change in that, Jerry? I know that there were some fans that were fairly upset that. That, that Bagley goes off for 16 points in one quarter and then doesn't really get much run after that? Or is that something that you just kind of go, hey, you're, you're a young kid, you're going to have to earn that, and we wanted to win the game, and that was the, the lineup I used? Yeah, well, I, I think, obviously, it's a coaching decision, and, and uh, Luke gave his reasons. Uh, I, I would probably be a little bit more like some of the fans. I, I thought, uh, you know, in that particular game, he, he seemed like the Phoenix did not have a good answer for him that uh, it would have been, you know, worth, uh, hey, uh, making sure that he he was in there, uh, you know, for off and, and really where he could do some damage. So I probably wouldn't have agreed with, with Luke in that regard at that time. But, you know, conversely, a lot of fans would not agreed with Luke not playing Marvin much the other night, but but I, I did. I thought, you know, sure. under the circumstances, he was, uh, he was, playing guys that were playing better. And so I guess if I had to put it in a nutshell, it's hard as you're, when you're coaching, uh, you know, uh, to, to know exactly what's going on all the time, but uh, pretty good, pretty good rule of thumb, play who's playing good. You know, I, I, yeah. keep that in mind. Well, you know, play who's playing good. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if this is a factor for Luke and I don't, I mean, no one, you'll never catch anyone admitting this, but I, I always wonder, you know, We've talked about Luke Walton's job security a lot just because logically the general manager didn't hire him. We've seen this in Sacramento before. So we don't know how Monty McNair truly fears, feels about Walton as a long-term coach. And for someone in Walton's position, um, he probably needs to win some games. I mean, if we're looking at this in like how every other NBA, like outside of Sacramento in any other scenario where you have a coach who wasn't hired by the new GM and you got a young team, that coach probably feels some pressure for his own job security to go up there and prove that he's, he can do it with this new management. And so he, and I do wonder how that, how Luke Walton probably needing to win games for his own sake um, butts up against, you know, the need from either management or ownership, or if you're just taking fan pressure uh, for developing some of the young guys, like how, how do the, how does Luke Walton balance those things? And, And it's super early. I don't mind him like going for wins now because you don't know what you have. Maybe you are a playoff team. So I didn't have a huge problem with him sitting Bagley in that Suns game because they won. In the Houston game, not sitting him and you lose, then it becomes, well, if you're going to lose games anyways, why don't you give minutes to the younger player? Even though I I do agree with Jerry that he wasn't playing well. I mean, he's shooting 37% from the field on the season. So it's, it's something where I don't think there is a perfect answer for it, but I do wonder where Luke Walton's job security and his necess- his need for wins sort of fits into how he's going to play the young guys moving forward. Well, I, I think it's easy. I mean, on that is like, hey, he's a coach. Uh, he needs to win ball games. Now, anybody that thinks otherwise is very foolish. You know, the old uh, or do you remember Dell Harris years ago telling me he was with Houston when they went full tank mode, 
And, you know, and, and they did, and they got the first pick. I think it was Elijah Wan, uh, or I'm not sure. It may, may have been Samson, but it's one of them. And, of course, he lost his job. He said, yeah, thank yeah. you for tanking. That's that's what tanking gets the coach most of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> is, uh, and then, plus, I think what else is forgotten about that is that, you know, he wants the respect of the team he's coaching. Uh, players uh, players are could care less about the draft and and tanking they're they're worried about their jobs and their future whether it's with the kings or another team and that's exactly what the coach is thinking well you know i'm going to do as best i can because if i'm not wanted here maybe i'll be wanted somewhere else you know he's a young man and thinking about uh, a job maybe not necessarily with the king so uh so I, I think that's, sure. that's just one of those truisms that, that people forget the, you know, the obvious. Uh, a coach's job is to try to win. And, and I think all of them will, unless they're given abs, you know, threats of being fired on the spot or something like that. And players, regardless, I guarantee you, there's not one guy saying, boy, I, I hope we, we play, you know, lose a lot of games so that uh, we draft somebody that'll take my job. I can't wait to do that. Jerry, I think yeah. it's I, I think that's a good point in that Tyrese Halliburton actually brought that up. He has a quote about, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not here to lose games. I'm here to make the playoffs and everybody on this team wants to make the playoffs and I'm I'm here to win. I don't care about what happened in the past. I'm here to win. Well, and, and the other point on that is, hey, he was a 12th pick, wasn't he? Yeah. And uh, how much better is he than a bunch of those guys that are down? You know, it's the lottery. Sure for God's sakes. And it will be again next year, contrary to what people think. History proves it over and over and over. And, and so, yeah, you can, uh, you know, Kings, uh, good thing they didn't get down fourth or fifth. They wouldn't got near as good a player. It's, uh, it's, it's something for me that I try to, because I'm somebody that is, uh, uh, I'm somebody that I don't mind the extreme, Jerry. I'm, I'm somebody who I, I, I don't have a problem if somebody wants to go a little different. And so for me, though, I, I don't ever expect a player to want to lose. And as, even with coaches, there are coaches like I think of like a Brett Brown, who when he was hired in in um, Philadelphia. Yeah, he knew the he knew the game. Yeah. Yeah. He knew what was going to be happening and he accepted that. And he, he, yeah. uh, under, yeah. under intense pressure, he performed far better than any coach I feel like should have in that situation. Great. But I, I don't ever put it – I mean, that's a management thing, that if management wanted that team to be in the top three in the lottery, well, then they'd get rid of guys that are good enough to, to win you some games. To win right? you games. Right. But uh, up until the point where they do that, they're either evaluating those guys or, or they're letting them play. And I, um, <laughs> it's, it's hard for people to get – it's hard for me at least to get mad at a coach for wanting to win a game because that's his job like that. That is, that's how he puts food and on the table. Yeah, exactly. That you hit it. That's his job. He was hired uh, to win games in his contract. He didn't say, we don't care if you win. We want you to develop players. They don't say that. And he wasn't hired on that basis. And uh, basically if they don't win enough games, he will be fired on that basis. And that's why I didn't mind him sitting Bagley in the Phoenix game, despite the great game, Bagley was playing is because Luke Walton succeeded in that instance where he he stuck to his vets to some degree and he won where I start to have a little bit of an issue with that is if you stick to your vets and you're losing and we've only I mean that happened in Houston so it's very early to say that that's what's going to happen but that's where the scales sort of start to tip for me is if you're losing games anyways but you're also relying on the veteran players and we're not there yet, but we've certainly seen Kings teams do that in the past where you don't play your young players. You don't give them the experience that maybe they might need. And you're, you're instead, you're just somewhere stuck in the middle and you're losing games on the back of veteran players, which is kind of the no man's land that I don't think anybody really wants. Yeah. We're not there yet. You know, I, I can say, I always said too, it's like, well, even a 72 game schedule, there'd be a point. Let's say the team really underperforms going forward and you're all of a sudden 12 and 20 something. Well, now you, you, you know, I hate to break the news to people, but you can see what young players can do in, yeah. in a 20, 25 game stretch. And, 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 and I'm fairly mm -hmm. sure that there has not been one single hall of famer overlooked uh, earlier in their careers, by not getting to play, uh, you know, 
I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, because I, I hear this same lament every year, you know, I mean, and, and you do too, but I mean, it forever Tyrese Halliburton, there's a whole bunch of Malachi Richardsons and, 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 and Ray McCallum's and whatever. Well, if they just, you got to play the young guys, develop them. Well, you, no, you don't. If they're not good enough, that's what there's called practices. And, and actually coaches are there and they get to watch. And sometimes those same guys, you say, well, you know, we could play him more, but he's not very good. <laughs> yeah. I guess where that, where that gets interesting is when like that, I agree with that, but where, where I think that gets sort of muddied is when you see something like around when uh, the Kings traded bogey or they let bogey go. And then you would see reports from Woj or, or whoever, and they'll say, you know, Monty McNair, let Bogdanovich go. And their plan is to now build around this young core that is De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley and Tyrese Halliburton or whoever. And to me that says, all right, you know, you're, you must be seeing things in practice or, or you must have this very high, um, you must already think Marvin Bagley is good. If you are counting him as a building piece, cement young block to this franchise. So that's the part where, where I, I understand that like, you don't just play a young guy because he's young and like you said, you know, Hall of Famers don't get stuck on the bench. I think that's all valid. But when when you hear that the team themselves are saying, and maybe they're just saying that to say it, but when they're saying Marvin Bagley is one of our guys, then to me it's like, all right, you're telling me Marvin Bagley is one of your guys, and then you're not playing him. That's the part where it gets conflicting to me. Is or just don't yeah, say it. You know, they're playing him. Yeah, they are. Really. You know, you're right. It's I mean, that, really. it's still okay, it's still too he's early. Twenty six so minutes. Yeah. So, so if he played thirty two, would that what difference does that make? Uh, I'm serious. I mean, I, I really, I, I think if you're, you're splitting hairs here, uh, yeah. he's starting every game. Uh, mm-hmm. He's playing fifth or sixth most minutes on the team. So, yeah. and, and he's not playing that well. So, yes. uh, yeah. so if he plays better, just, this will be just a, a, a shot in the dark here, but I bet she plays more <laughs> when he plays better on a consistent basis. Well, it didn't happen in Phoenix. <laughs> didn't didn't happen to Phoenix, and it may and it won't, and it didn't uh, happen in Houston, and yeah. and and rightly or wrongly, but but uh, I'm just saying what I'm saying here is his minutes are about the same as Halliburton's. Yeah, it's definitely a premature conversation. This is something that you know. This is this is a projecting worries that has hasn't happened yet. Really, I mean, it's it's so. But that that those that is the that's the constant debate is. Is he a part of it? Is he not part of it? And then also you need to see him to determine if he is a part of it. But again, it's five games in, so we're not there. We're not quite there yet. Yeah, I mean, to me, it'd be a concern if all of a sudden he, they quit playing him. Yeah, all of a right. Mar- Marvin became a 10-minute guy. I would have mm-hmm. a real problem with that. But uh, hey, if you're starting a guy, let I, I, don't, I think it's all going to work out just fine. I really do, uh, whether he's going to be the second coming or not. But he's too talented to probably – you know, with the start he's had, but there's some reasons for that. And then as he plays better and, and at some point it needs to get back to that. It, he has to play better. Uh, yes. That's the way it's supposed to work. Uh, this, this thing of, of giving guys minutes is probably the worst thing that can happen. I saw it with Ben McLemore, you know, that yeah. uh, just as far as I'm concerned, not that he'd ever been a star, but, but when you start giving guys 35 minutes because uh, that's what you get. Yeah, just if you're basing the playing time on like a meritocracy or, or any, you know, if you take age out of it, Bagley's been one of the worst players in the rotation this season. Just like, so that it is what it is. I mean, that's that's just facts. So you can only be so upset when a guy isn't playing particularly well and then he isn't getting the minutes. Um, I just know that's the debate. But to, yeah, but to your point, yeah, your point is, I think with most fans, okay, we drafted him second and, and, and we expect him to be an elite player, you know, a, a cornerstone or one of the key guys on this team. And I think that's still true. I think there's every reason to think that and believe that. But to my mind, he's not being punished. He's actually being coached. Yeah. In my mind, he's being coached right now. And, uh, and so the days of the AAU and Duke and everywhere else where you get minutes just because, just because now you're going to get your minutes. We believe in you, but you got to play better. 
You know, Tony brought up um, the 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 whole um, spin with uh, with Woj and, and some of these reporters that'll say, oh, this and that about oh who the King's core is and whatnot. And I think something else that that kind of there's a disconnect there is that's management or somebody in management leaking or, or discussing with a reporter who they think their core is versus the coach is the one who's putting in uh, who's putting him in for a certain amount of minutes and playing that. Jerry, how, how often did you have a general manager dictate to you, I think a Marvin Bagley type should get 25 to 30 minutes? I think, uh, well, I would say it happened, but I never paid attention mm. to it. I, I okay, know, and that, that was kind of my point. <laughs> I don't know any yeah. coach that would, honestly. Sure. And I know that's, uh, I know from a fan's perspective, they think that happens all the time. Vladdy make this guy play. Vladdy told him he's got to play that guy or, or, you know, whoever, I mean, or Bill Russell make Jerry do this or no, it, it doesn't. I mean, they may have suggestions and a coach may follow, may follow, but he, but there's a lot of times, Hey, the coach still knows uh, he's got to coach sure. the team. And if he's playing somebody just because of a reason other than the uh, best for the team, he's going to lose that team. You know, sometimes you, you, you're, you're playing guys that don't deserve to play. Uh, don't be surprised when, when guys bail. They know who should be playing. And if so, so, so that's why I say I think, I think yeah. I, I agree with pretty much everything Luke has done. I mean, not saying that each every individual minute of every game. Yeah, I, I just think it's logical that Monty McNair can believe that those three guys are the core and those three guys are the future – and that Luke Walton could also not play Marvin Bagley the same amount that, that Monty McNair might wish for. And the only way that Monty McNair is going to get Marvin the minutes possibly that Monty thinks he might get is either to fire Luke Walton to bring somebody in that will do that or to create a Luke Walton sock puppet and, and, and coach from the bench that way. That Luke Walton's still a person that has the decision-making ability to, okay, I pulled him in the last five minutes of the game, and so he didn't get that that time. Well, then he didn't get that time. But that that doesn't necessarily reflect one way or another with on what Monty McNair thinks. Yeah, no, and I mean, he's got uh, – Monty McNair has to do what general managers do. He has to look what he thinks is best for the franchise, and that's the long-term look at it. And and certainly, uh, you know, and I agree with – you know, in the sense of a lot of fans, it's like what Tony's talking about there. Okay, you can look at it from the long perspective, but the coach can't. He has to look at, sure. at what can I do to win tomorrow, you know, tomorrow, because he's, got, he's not sure of the, a week from tomorrow. Uh, that's just the reality of it, other than half a dozen guys in the league that have, you know, had a lot of success and, sure. and have been hired by the probably the guy that <laughs> – that they're working for. And so, so yeah, I, I just think it's a two different dynamics. And I, I think that's why it's so tough for a coach or anybody to coach and run the franchise. Now there are exceptions, the Red Auerbachs and Pat Riley's uh, have been, could, could do it, but they're, they're unique. You know, I mean, that, Pat uh, Popovich, I mean, you're, you're talking about unique individuals. They, they don't come along every day. They're just like great, great players. Uh, God don't make a lot of them. Uh, just for the people that are tuning in at home here, I wanted to let you know that Jerry said that he felt Marvin Bagley was in the top five or six in minutes. Uh, Marvin Bagley is six in minutes. And he said that they were pretty close to Tyrese Halliburton's and he's within a minute and a half of, of Tyrese Halliburton's minutes. So Jerry, you're two for two on those guesses today. Damn. Just, I, <laughs> may, I amaze myself sometimes. Sharp as a whip. Just, oh, the brain is deteriorating, <laughs> but it's got a little while to go. <laughs> let's let's talk about one more guy that I, I think uh, deserves conversation because he is the star and the engine of the franchise in De'Aaron Fox. He started this season um, just under 21 points a game at 20.6. He's averaging over a steal and a half a game. He's averaging over a block a game. And he's averaging uh, six and a half assists, uh, 3.2 rebounds. And uh, the number that everybody wants to know is that he's shooting uh, just under 32% from three. Jerry, how do you think De'Aaron Fox has played uh, early in the season? Okay. You know, mm -hmm. that's just what I'd say. I mean, it, you know, you got to judge him on, on his talent, uh, his value to the team, what's expected of him. And to, and to kind of yeah. say more than that, I think you'd be giving credit undeserved. I mean, his uh, scoring efficiency, uh, 
is about one little over 1.2 points. Well, that's just barely uh, acceptable. And, and so, you know, for a guy that, that, that is, is the guy. So, so that, that's, you know, as opposed to, I think uh, you use Trey Young as the example is 1.8, you know, which puts out, I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's, that's a Michael Jordan, Larry Bird kind of war, numbers there, you know? Uh, mm. So, which we'll see how that, but anyway, yeah, I, I mean, the shooting percentage needs to get better. It's just turnover ratio needs to get better. It's two to one and, and, and all, but that, that's not good enough yet. I mean, he, cause he's capable of being a three, three and a half to one guy. Uh, you know, even taking chances and as a score. And I, and I, I really believe he can get there. I think defensively he's been, been pretty good. And, you know, his, his defensive saves are just remarkable. You know, I mean, he has just that rare athleticism that few dream of even. Uh, so, you know, I think if Corey Joseph even dreamed he could react like that, he'd wake up in a cold sweat, wouldn't he? Uh, but, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, he's got to play better. Uh, I mean, for this team to, you know, a, as it goes, and it's not to say there's anything to worry about, you know, he's making progress yeah. and, and all, but uh, to give him, put him on the all-star team right now, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I think he's, sure. he's, he's got to get better shooting percentages and assist a turnover ratio. And I think, uh, I think that'll happen. Tony, was there anything that you observed from Fox that you wanted to mention? I just think he, we are grading him now on a, on a much tougher scale than ever before now that he's a max contract guy. So I think he's been, he's been decent, but he's also shooting, you know, the worst he's shot from the field since his rookie year. So there's certainly room for improvement. I do think he's playing more like a leader, I guess, and that doesn't really show up in the numbers, but he's taking a lot of those end of game opportunities to some success, some not success, but he's, it's, it seems more like De'Aaron Fox's team as ever before for, for whatever that's worth. And I think that's what you want to see a player in his position as now a max contract guy do. But I think on the court, it still needs to, it still needs to be better. It's been okay, but it still needs to get better. Jerry, is there any one thing that you can point at that you think De'Aaron Fox could, if he could, if he could tweak this one thing over the next five or 10 games that you would be a little bit higher on him about, or is, there, is it just, enough little things that it couldn't be just one big one that he needs to change. Well, a couple of little minor things. I, I wish he would just be a ball mover occasionally. You know, he has the tendency to, because he's so good with the ball, it tend to be a ball stopper. In other words, uh, that's one of the things I just love about Halliburton, or you go back to great point guards of the yeah. truly great ones of the past, the, the, the Stocktons or the Chris Paul, sometimes they'll just move the ball, you know, the pass that leads right. to the, assist type thing and, and I think that he tends to think he's got to make a play every time he, he gets it and and almost nobody's that good so you know to, to be better at that and uh, you know because I, I don't think there's anything selfish about him I don't mean that at all I think it's just that's mm. the way he's always played and he's yeah. had a lot of success with it and but he's got more he's got some talented teammates out there just be little let them uh make a play type thing. And then I, I think the thing that I'll probably go to my grave with, but he should be a knockdown 15 foot jump shooter. You know, the, the, the dribble drive, pull ups, stop and pop. Yes. Tony, uh, Baino Udrich. Yes. The autumn, but I mean, it's, it's a, it's a shot. He can get any time. He just puts so much pressure on the defense. They'll give it to him. So take it and make it. Yeah, and I'm looking up the numbers here just because I, I I remember you mentioned his mid-range and how we should add that in a previous podcast. And he actually, his percentages for, for mid-range, anything you know that's not three and not a layup, is really good. Um, if he can just do that maybe more often or, or make that. More. Yeah, his short mid-range, he's 58%, which is 90th percentile uh, per cleaning the glass. So he's, I mean, he's, he can make that shot. He just doesn't take it uh, with, a, with a lot of frequency. Um, but I, I think that's what's weird about the King's success this year is that there's still some upside in both Fox and Buddy Heald, who I don't think are playing to their, you know, to their peak levels. They're getting incredible contributions from Rashawn Holmes and Harrison Barnes. So I, I do want to mention both of those guys. But ha being three and two with still having uh, a lot of room in the ceiling with De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald's shooting is, is kind of encouraging in some ways. You know, too, the uh, just a go on that is like yeah i think buddy and fox are just 
you know, they, they'll click in and it'll really, uh, really, they'll get going and be much better as we go. I don't think they're just too good not to, and they've proven that. But I think another player that, uh, you know, Holmes has been, he's been terrific. Awesome. He's awesome. just been terrific. And Barnes is, you know, he's, he's Harrison Barnes. He's a really good, solid all around player. But I think the guy that never gets enough credit is Belicia. You know, yeah. He, he, and he's the one guy that always seems to probably take the short shrift in minutes. And I know, when, you know, he's a veteran. He's over thirty, so so he's so he's so he's, so he's not allowed to play even if he's yeah, good. No, no minutes. <laughs> but but he's he's scoring at one almost one point six points per shot. You know, I mean, he is extremely efficient. Uh, you know, his numbers are there as as they always sure. are. Uh, his efficiency rating. As a player, is almost twenty. He's right at the top. You know, words. If you based, if you based anything on stats, he'd be playing a lot more minutes, and some other guys would be playing a lot less. But, but yes, but he. It's what it is. So, so that's why I, I think I would. Uh, I feel like Luke has done a good job trying to make sure the younger guys do get enough minutes to be a fair evaluation, and not totally screw over uh, guys who are playing better. And Belich yeah. is on the border of being screwed over by, by the way he's played. I, I think he's going to be very, very good later in the season for somebody else. Some other team is going to trade, trade for Bielita. And yeah, if I were another, if I were a better team that's looking for that, that guy off the bench that could play a couple of spots, center and small ball, and 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 all, and and uh, you know can take and make big shots. Yes, sir. You know, I mean, I don't care if it's Milwaukee or the Lakers or the very best talented team, Miami Heat, you name them. Uh, he could play for any of them in, in a certain role. You got Davis Bertans making $20 million a year to basically cosplay Nemanja Bielitsa. He's not as good. He's not as good a player. <laughs> he may be a better pure shooter. Uh, and I say that not positive of that, but, but he's not as good a player as Belicia. Bielitsa is going to be one of those players that we look back on um, who never, never won games here, really never was on a playoff team, but like a guy like Francisco Garcia or Bano Udrich or, or, you know, Jason Thompson, one of those guys we look back on, like, I'm going to love the Bielitsa years in my memory, despite all the losing, because he's been an, a joy player to watch, hit some big shots, rarely makes, you know, game breaking mistakes. Doesn't complain like Jerry Reynolds said about, He's of any guy that might have a minutes complaint, it would be him and you never, you would never hear it from him. So he's going to be one of those Kings that uh, has this little cult following beyond when he's gone, despite never winning because he's, he's been a maybe Vlade's best signing, honestly. And he's, he's been a, just a consistent plus whenever he's on the court. Pros pro pros pro. All right, Tony, let's get over to our uh, Patreon question of the day. All right. Um, every episode on this podcast, we take one question from our King's Herald patrons. And then once a month, uh, any questions we don't use on the main show here gets put in a uh, larger Q&A. So keep submitting questions. We'll get to them eventually. This one comes from Arco Thunder in our comment section. And this is a, a bit of a long question, but I'm interested to hear what Jerry has to say about it. Um, so from Arco Thunder. As someone who sat courtside during the Fakers versus Kings game six, where 642 fouls were called on the Kings and only three were called on their opponent, is there a moment you can share from that night that has stuck with you? Perhaps a look from Rick Adelman as he walked past you in the fourth quarter that said uh, WTF with his eyes, maybe a conversation with Grant during a commercial break of what the hell is going on? This is really happening. Something doesn't feel right. Or could there be a conversation or argument between Mike Bibby and an official or Rick Adam and an official that you look back on now? It feels a little more revealing knowing what we all know. I'd love to hear Jerry's insider look at one of the most infamous games in NBA history. You know, there, there probably wasn't uh, one thing. I mean, it was a, all, all the above almost what that uh, gentleman asked about. Uh, I mean, I always remember the foul called where Kobe elbowed uh, Bibby in the face and called a foul on Bibby. You know, he's, he's a, face might have hurt Kobe's elbow and uh so that you know that told you an awful lot right there but but it, it was just one of those things I think at first in that quarter uh it was almost a disbelief you know it's like oh boy getting a lot of bad calls here and then you know went from you know kind of like holy cow this is this can't be happening to the, then just totally like there's nothing we can do this is uh 
preordained kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, just basically being, I, I don't think I've ever been around a team or coaches where it was, you know, 100% like, hey, that was just not fair. It just simply wasn't fair, not using better language than what was used. And, uh, and then, you know, Jeff Petrie almost <laughs> never loses his cool. I mean, almost never. But he lost his cool, uh, you know, and rightly so. And, and that, that's what it what struck me as much as anything is when, when Jeff does that, then, then I, I mean, I felt like, well, I wasn't just a total idiot, like maybe, uh, you know, just being a biased total idiot like I normally am. It's like, well, no, uh, I know, I know he's not. And, and so, yeah. so that was kind of the, 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 the way for me, but uh, yeah, it's one of those things I, I tell you, I, all these years later, I, I think about it every day because I know it costs, I didn't know at the time that it would cost the championship, but it did. And, and I know all the, well, you had game seven at home and, and you had your chances to win. That's all true. But you, it, it's, the truth was, if you'd won the game, Kings had won that game, which they deserved to win by any standards, they would have uh, beaten New Jersey four to one at, at worst. So, so in, in answer, I'm still bitter. <laughs> Can I ask a follow-up? Uh, after, so that game six happens, um, everyone's sort of shocked or whatever. It was such a weird game going into game seven. Did you have any feeling one way or the other? Like, all right, this team is so frustrated with what transpired here. They're going to come out and kill these guys in game seven. Or was it more of a, like, Oh boy, that was like such a heartbreaking loss. I don't know. Or, or was there no way one way or the other? Like, what was your feelings going into game seven after what happened? You know, I, I gotta be honest. I, I was, uh, I felt it. This is just kind of a premonition. I don't know, you know, just I thought the guys spend too much time reliving that game. You know, I mean, I, I just thought, boy, it's over. You got screwed, you know, move on, get ready. You know, and I, I just thought even in the locker room that there were still discussions of it. And it's like it doesn't need to be discussed anymore. You know, that can, you know, and I, I really just felt that. And then. Uh, the game itself, uh, always what worries me is that the Lakers had the two best players on the floor, you know, uh, two of the best that's ever played. And, and in one game, and, and you know, it's, at that point, it's a one-game playoff, just like a college thing. So uh, there, to me, the, the advantage was theirs because they had the two best players. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the way it played out. Jerry, I got one more follow-up for you. And this is just so that I can get tabloid headlines with my name in it. Do you believe that Tim Donahue, do you believe anything about this being rigged? And I know he wrote a book about it afterward uh, as he was sitting in federal prison. Do you, do you put any stock in that at all? I don't. Uh, you know, I think I really own opinion is because I know those officials uh, individually and they were good officials. I do think mm -hmm. that, and they all had just terrible games, terrible games. Now, is it all coincidence? No, I don't think so. I, I think that they knew. Nobody told them. I don't think it was. But they knew that it was to the league's advantage to have a game seven on TV. I, I believe that. Mm -hmm. that, that, that. That entered their mind. Mm -hmm. And that uh, they didn't, sure. that the league really wouldn't want to see the series end since it was uh, in Los Angeles. And, uh, and I think they thought, well, you know, sure. not that they, that even if, if we give the Lakers all these breaks, uh, the Kings will get their just desserts and win games. So I don't think they thought that, but I, that's my take on it. I, I just would prefer, I'm not, I, I, I don't think I'd ever want to believe anything uh, Donahue says because we know he's a proven liar, right? I mean, he, he's, he's proven. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, and trying to, and, try, and trying to, you know, give himself a little cover. And, 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 you know, excuse for his behavior. And so, uh, but, but, you know, I mean, those, it was a terribly officiated game and, and by guys who are good officials and uh, it's just too much of a co coincidence uh, for, for me to believe that, but I, I, I just put it in the human nature category that, uh, you know, they were never told. They just probably as, as humans, it's like, well, you know, they didn't think about each call or each guy talk about each call, sure. but, it just, but it screwed us. Yeah. That's what absolutely. 
Before we get to the uh, to the Reynolds wrap up, I just wanted yeah. to take a second to uh, congratulate Jerry Reynolds on this past week. If you've been living under a rock, uh, the Kings uh, honored Jerry Reynolds by giving him the uh, Jerry Reynolds media entrance, which is uh, I want to say that Jerry, it took us one week. We talked about your statue, and the next week the Kings did something about it. So the located near the arena's northeast corner along uh, David J. Stern Walk, the media entrance will greet all working press members and journalists covering the Kings home games with newly installed artwork, imagery, signage, commemorating the spirit of Jerry Reynolds' devoted work with the team. In addition, a special plaque placed near the doors to the entrance will articulate the franchise's tribute to Reynolds in greater detail. Jerry, if you don't mind, I'm going to read that plaque real quick, just so that we can get that out of our way for our listeners. Okay. okay. Yeah, get it out of the way. <laughs> so Jerry Reynolds' media entrance. In recognition of Jerry Reynolds' 35 years of devoted service and his enduring impact on the Sacramento Kings organization, Spanning more than three decades, Jerry Reynolds' storied career with the Kings was distinguished by a multitude of roles, including head coach, general manager, director of player personnel, and cherished broadcaster. Known for his relatable commentary style, ability to connect with fans of all ages, and humorous Jerryisms on air. Reynolds also served as general manager of the Sacramento Monarchs for six seasons, leading the club to the WNBA playoffs four times. A beloved franchise icon, Jerry Reynolds is synonymous with the history of the uh, history of the Sacramento Kings, and he will forever be a member of the franchise's family. So, Jerry, we just wanted to uh, congratulate you on that. That's a that's a, a wonderful well, honor. Well, it really is. I mean, it's. I think the the neatest thing for me is that uh, you know it's it's not something that I really thought I deserved, but the fact that the franchise thought I did. That, that's maybe the most meaningful. So it's really neat. And, and I want to remind fans that that picture outside, there's security lights right over it. So if you try to destroy that <laughs> anyway, or, or, put, or put a mustache on me, we'll track you down like dogs. Jerry, you did say that you would deface your own statue, if I remember yeah, correctly, well, when we talked last week. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I don't have to anymore. It pretty much defaces by just by me being me. <laughs> okay, well, let's get to the Reynolds wrap-up then. Jerry, do you have anything for us? Yeah, you know, just the, the league start itself. I, I really enjoyed, you know, watching league pass and all the teams. I try to watch all the teams and just seeing a couple of things. I, I thought, you know, teams that have really jumped out of the box way better than they were supposed to, teams that weren't. And then some teams that have really been underachieving in my mind. And certainly I, I think the Kings are close to the top level of that, but they're not. But, but I would say that, you know, the Atlanta Hawks comes to mind. I have watched them a few times and they're good. <laughs> they are good. And I think they're going, they're going to be a playoff team in the East. So they've made a tremendous turnaround. I think the 76ers with uh, coaching change and all that, they might finally be in the upper echelon like they should be. Uh, I think for the West, uh, the Suns are probably the most uh, surprising team and not totally surprising because they were so good in the bubble, but, uh, but they have jumped out of there like, like, you know, better than some. And then the disappointments, I think uh, the, the heat have really been disappointing to me in the East, you know, they've been slapped around a few times and they're just too good for that. But, but I, Jimmy Butler hadn't played a lot. So that'll probably work itself out. And I think to me, the most, disappointing team even though the record is the Warriors I mean I think defensively they're just awful just awful and uh you know watched them the other night with Draymond back and he didn't add anything no. uh, he looked like he did last year you know and then so so that's just my thoughts early season you know I think when we come back to this and after 15 games uh the same thing you know it's like with with you know Tony and I talking about Marvin or the team but I mean 15 games or so Boy, you can start making some actual legitimate judgments, I think. Well, for everyone here at uh, the King's Herald, uh, we'd like to thank you for listening again to us. And we'd like to uh, encourage you to uh, like, rate, and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast today. And uh, hopefully you guys had a happy holiday season and that uh, you guys are safe coming into the new year. Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop. Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop.